Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. We're here in Marion, Ohio. We're going to have a meeting, an all-day prophecy conference on Sunday, and then Monday night as well at the Grace Baptist Church in Merriam. So therefore, we set up our temporary studios in order to be able to do our 90-minute broadcast, Prophecy Today Weekend. By the way, speaking of 90 minutes, hope you can give us that 90 minutes as we go to our broadcasters around the world for the purpose of getting the details behind what we read or hear in the headlines of the news today. Sometimes the headlines are correct, sometimes it's false news, and we need to try to discern which it is. That's why we have this team of broadcasters. One of them is Sharam Hadian. He's going to be talking to us about the connection between the Muslim Brotherhood and the Black Lives Matter movement here in America. And then David James is going to give us more insight into BLM and Antifa as well. Hey, let's go to Ken Timmerman. He's back home in Florida. And Ken, first of all, what about your book? When is it going to come out? Can they still pre-buy your book? Jimmy, the book will be released on the 11th of August. You can still pre-order the book. And this is about the Democrats' plan to steal the 2020 election. I lay out in great detail the vulnerabilities of our election systems, the possibility of fraud by hacking electronic systems in particular. And these are things that nobody is really uh, looking at actively. And all of this with a great story, lots of fun to read, and you're going to learn an awful lot. Go to my website, KenTimmerman.com. There's a link there that will take you directly to the Amazon page. All right, let's get now to the stories I want you to give us an analysis of, if you will, Ken. Iran is seeking deals with Russia and with China now. We knew about the Iranian-China deal, but also including Russia, in order to build up a coalition that can resist the United States. Give us more information, please, sir. Here's the thing, Jimmy. You and I have been covering on this program this growing alliance, this strategic alliance between Russia in the north, China in the east, and Iran in the center, Iran focusing its ire and its military ultimately against the state of Israel. We've been following this for a long time in slow motion, if you wish, as this gradually develops on the ground. But if you zoom out and take a big-picture look at it, it's happening in the snap of the fingers. So we're trying to slow down the clock a little bit so our listeners can be prepared and can understand this relationship between these three uh, great powers, Russia, China, and Iran. This past week, uh, after the Iranians concluded their strategic agreement with China, they sent the foreign minister to Moscow to sign a similar kind of agreement with Russia. Now, we know that they've been cooperating for many, many years, but these are actually written, signed cooperation agreements, military cooperation, strategic cooperation, investment both by China and by Russia in Iran's crumbling economy. And I believe what's really behind this, immediately the tactical situation behind this, is that Russia and China are trying to save Iran from economic and political collapse. The policy under President Trump of exerting maximum pressure on the Iranian regime through economic sanctions and diplomatic isolation has been tremendously successful. Inflation in Iran is around 
42%. Unemployment is astronomical. The economy is crumbling. The currency, the Iranian rial, has lost something like 75% of its value over the past year alone. And this is after previous decreases in value. Investors have fled Iran. People are trying to get the money out in every way. This past week, Iranian police stopped a truck trying to flee Iran, packed with dollars, euros, and gold, probably a billion dollars at least in cash, uh, that somebody was trying to get out of the country to a safe haven overseas. And it's not the first time that this has happened. So Russia and China are coming to the rescue of the Islamic fascist regime in Tehran. That's what this is all about. They're trying to get out from under international sanctions so they can continue their work on nuclear weapons. Yeah, exactly. And that, of course, investment by China of a reported $400 billion, that's a B, $400 billion in Iran, will assist them to be able to sprint to that bomb, that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. It looks like that. And then they can use that for funding their proxies across the world as well, can they not? That's right. And they've been having problems with that. Even late last year, uh, before the Quds Force leader, Qasem Soleimani, was killed, some of his underlings were coming to him and saying, ah, Hajj Qasem, we no longer have the money to fund uh, the Fatamiyun, which is one of their groups in Afghanistan. We no longer have the money to fund Hamas. And so Qasem Soleimani then turned to uh, this gigantic parastatal foundation called the Bunyad Mozatafan, or the the foundation of the oppressed, and said, hey, we need your help to pay our proxies around the world. Uh, So financially, they have been really hit hard. Uh, It has not slowed their nuclear weapons program. The only thing that has slowed the nuclear weapons program have been the recent spate of attacks, uh, which remain unexplained. Uh, We now know from satellite photographs of the attack in Uptans, where they have a buried facility to manufacture uh, very advanced new generation centrifuges. It was attacked in uh, late June. These satellite photographs in early July now show it was probably a bomb and not a cyber attack, and it did extensive damage. Some estimates say it has set back the program by two years. But the Iranians are resourceful. They're focusing everything on nuclear weapons, and they're hoping that Russia and China are going to save their, their nickel, so to speak, when it comes to the economy. Ken, we've also been talking in the last couple of weeks about what's happening in Libya. Looks like Egypt's military is now most likely going to head into Libya, and that's being motivated by Turkey and what they're doing there. That's right. The Turks have been recruiting mercenaries in Syria to prop up the government, the Islamist government, in Tripoli. And this is something that the Egyptians are not very happy about. And so now uh, General al-Sisi, the uh, president of Egypt, is considering for the first time in something like, what, 45 years, sending Egyptian troops into Libya to defend General Haftar, uh, the really pro-Western leader in Benghazi, in Sirte, in the eastern part of Syria. He's also backed by Moscow. This is a very unusual situation (laughs) where, you know, the Russians are actually supporting the good guys. Uh, for for once. But that's what's happening on the ground. The Russians have their own mercenaries from the Wagner Group. They, too, are recruiting the Syrians, former opponents to Assad in Syria, to join the Wagner Group. 
They're getting $1,000 a month plus an amnesty from the Syrian regime if they will do this. So things are heating up in Libya. Uh, this is going to be the next big proxy war between Islamist forces, Islamist expansionist forces from Turkey. Remember, Erdogan wants to become the chief of the caliphate, and this is his way of expanding into Libya and controlling the oil and gas pipelines going from Israel through Cyprus to Greece and to Europe. Uh, so big proxy war in the making. Again, we are watching it here in slow motion as it builds. Yeah, Erdogan with the Turkish troops and military armament there in Libya. But at the same time, Erdogan, with his desire to revive the old Ottoman Empire, making a statement that Turkey will remain in Syria in that battle until Syrian people are all free. I mean, that's just a opportunity for him to be able to stay there and try to take over Syria, maybe, is it not? Yes, and to recapture Syria, which was part of the Ottoman Empire. I, I want to remind our listeners of, of one thing they probably have not been hearing elsewhere on Friday. The Greek Orthodox Church announced a day of mourning for the conversion of Hagia, Hagia Sophia, the big church in Istanbul. We talked about this last week. There was a day of mourning on Friday. They rang the bells twice to mourn the Islamization of Hagia Sophia, the historic church in the center of Istanbul, a dark day for Christendom, indeed. Well, that's what Turkey's desire is, especially the leader, Tayyip Erdogan. Hey, talk to me about the Russian readiness drill that's taking place involving about 150,000 troops, maybe 400 aircraft, 100 ships. What are they getting ready for? Do we know? Well, uh, it's very interesting to see uh, the Russians do this on an increasingly regular basis. Uh, Putin gives a snap decision, a snap order to conduct a readiness drill. You know, it's not one unit, it's not two units, it's 150,000 troops, 400 aircraft, 100 combat ships overnight get mobilized to conduct drills. Now, of course, the Russians say this is nothing to do with uh, the United States. It's nothing to do with foreign enemies. But of course it is. Of course it is demonstrating uh, that Russia's very large armed forces, obviously not as big as they were during the Cold War, but still very large, modernized armed forces are capable of snap deployment anywhere in the world. And, and this is important for the Russians because, remember, in 2007, 2008, they had this little war in Georgia, and they performed miserably against the tiny Georgian army and resistance forces. So since that time, they have been building uh, readiness, they've been building capability, they've been modernizing their weaponry and their tactics. And this uh, exercise is another example that Putin intends to be a military power in the European continent and the Eurasian battle space, if you wish. He intends to be present and making the decisions of who's up and who's down. This all part of a prophetic scenario found in the Word of God. That's why we go to Ken Timmerman with his analysis of what is happening in the geopolitical arena in our world. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. It's set up in Marion, Ohio, a temporary studio. We're here in Marion because we're going to be at the Grace Baptist Church all day Sunday and then Monday evening. Love to have you come and join us as we study the prophetic word of God. If you're in that listening area, we would just dearly count it an honor. Come join us studying the prophetic word of God at Grace Baptist Church, Marion, Ohio. All day Sunday and then Monday evening. Well, we're going to David Dolan as promised. He has his Middle East News update, which is an essential report for each and every one of us. David, a mysterious bombing or some type of an explosion at Israel's northern border. What can you tell us about it? Well, Jimmy, it appears that a Israeli drone was uh, flying over the Golan Heights and uh, maybe entering into Syrian airspace, where that area has been extremely tense for the last few days, actually for the last week, ever since Israeli jets bombed Hezbollah positions near the Damascus airport in Syria and reportedly killed three Hezbollah fighters, including a senior commander. Hezbollah has vowed full revenge for that, but they don't think that this incident today was that. It was probably because tensions are high. Israel's been beefing up their forces, sending more artillery units to the north, not just of the Golan Heights, but all along the Israel-Lebanon-Syria borders, all, all of that area uh, is being strengthened by uh, additional troops. So this was probably a drone, Israeli drone, that was, you know, doing some reconnaissance. Uh, the Syrian army shot it down, not Hezbollah or Iran. The Syrians say that they shot it, 
and pieces of it came down in Mazdal Shams, which is an Israeli Druze town in the northern Golan Heights. As you know, you've been up there many times. So that's going on. And meanwhile, Jimmy, earlier on Friday, there was an Iranian commercial jet was intercepted, apparently, by two aircraft. Uh, some reports say Israeli aircraft. Some reports say American jets were involved. The Iranians' uh, pilots said it was American voices, but some say that was just because it was Israelis that come from the United States originally. We just don't know. But what they were doing there, Jimmy, is they've been using Iran has their civilian aircraft over the past couple years to fly in weapons for Hezbollah and for Iranian forces on occasion. So the Americans and the Israelis have been inspecting uh, from the air those jets to see if they show any evidence of that. Uh, That's been routine, but this was, they said, within just a 1,000 feet. The pilot of the Iranian jet, commercial jet, said he had to drop real quickly, and that injured some of his passengers to avoid collisions. So tension's very, very high there. And, of course, that comes after all those mysterious explosions in Iran over the past couple weeks, uh, really over the past month, including at the Natanz. A nuclear facility which uh, did a great deal of damage to that uh, centrifuge uh, facility, they're saying. Well, and it goes along with what you also mentioned about the fact that the Israeli Defense Force sending reinforcements to that northern border there because of the tensions with Hezbollah. What else can you tell us about that? Is that a possible war in the making? It's very likely they're saying that something will happen because the last time that Hezbollah vowed to revenge an Israeli action, they did. Now, that was a fairly limited uh, operation. You may recall that late last year, but they did respond, and they say again, Nasrallah, their head, says again that they are planning to avenge the killing of the senior commander. Now, again, whether that would be a local incident, whether they would try to capture some Israeli soldiers along the border, as they've done before several times or not, we can't say, but of course in 2006, uh, that sort of an operation soon exploded into a full uh, war in the summer of uh, 2006. You'll remember that. In fact, it was going on right at this time, late July and August. Very possible that we could be seeing that again, but uh, this time, very likely that Iran itself would get involved, that Syria might get involved, that Hamas might get involved. In other words, This could be the spark of a regional conflict, but we don't know. But the forces are being reinforced. Israel saying that quite openly, Jimmy. That's not just a secret. So uh, tensions are very, very high. Well, I would imagine this might be the undergirding of what I read in a headline coming out of Israel. There could be a war with Iran, and it would be an October surprise, but it would not only include Israel, Iran, possibly the United States. Give us some details. Well, there's pretty strong evidence that the U.S. and Israel are working together to um, curb Iran's nuclear program. And an Israeli expert I saw on television today said that there's no way this explosion at Natanz was not a sabotage attack, and that it was extremely well-planned and carried out, well-executed, great intelligence, he said, and that it had to be a state actor, not just internal uh, opponents. There is an internal Iranian anti-government group that claims that it's been active in recent weeks, and it may be that they are using 
some local Iranians as well. But it seems to be likely that it's a U.S.-Israeli plan to thwart the nuclear program. And again, Iran just a few months away, Jimmy, from being able to break out, we're now hearing, uh, with nuclear weapons. So this is down to the line. And I've always said, and we've discussed it many times, that Israel will carry out its vow to defend itself, that the prime minister says we won't allow ourselves to be blown into uh, the Stone Age again. You know, we're not going out as a state. We're here. We're going to stay and we're going to defend our people. But it's very, very serious. Nasrallah, of course, is very, very closely under Iran's control. So Hezbollah wouldn't even make such a statement if it wasn't already cleared by the Iranians showing that they may be ready to go to war, too. So here we are. Yes, here we are, and it's almost on an instant that these things can break out when you're thinking about the Middle East, and that's why it's so important to have David Dolan come join us with his Middle East news update. David, as you know, you you and I have lived there for a long period of time, but people may not remember Al-Aqsa is the the mosque we're talking about, is that pewter dome building, the gold dome building, really not a mosque but a commemorative building. But Al-Aqsa's director is making this statement, and when they talk about Al-Aqsa, they talk about the mosque but the entire Temple Mount, that it's going to stay and remain Islamic. He said the Muslim people in East Jerusalem, in the eastern part of the city of Jerusalem, will stand up and protect it. This is a controversy, of course, that's going to continue on till Jesus Christ comes back. Al-Aqsa is now supposedly Islamic, but it's going to be Jewish and Christian when Jesus rules and reigns from there. What we know now could be the controversy Zechariah was talking about, could it not? Well, it certainly seems to be leading up to that. And, you know, Jimmy, we have to point out that Al-Aqsa started out as, ta-da, a church. It was originally a Byzantine Christian church that was, quote, converted by the Muslims after they attacked uh, Jerusalem and captured the Temple Mount and through what remaining few Jews there were then. This was in the 6th century, I believe. And, of course, closed the Christian church down and turned it into a mosque, and uh, thereby the Christians couldn't worship there. Well, that's very similar to the Sophia, former cathedral in Istanbul that we talked about last week. Originally, that was a church and the head of the Byzantine Christian Empire, really. So this was a part of it in Jerusalem. So uh, there's every reason for Christians and Jews. Of course, Jews had their temple there for many, many, many centuries before any mosque was there, the Islam existed at all. So there's very good reasons for Jews and Christians to have claims on Al-Aqsa, on the Temple Mount, but of course the Muslims have dug their heels in on that as well, and no way they will ever willingly give over any sort of control there. But as I've said before, in the midst of a great war, we're going to probably see some major changes like we did in the 67 war, where Israel ended up being three times larger in terms of the land it controlled than before the war started. So Dramatic things do happen in major wars everywhere, but certainly in the Middle East, so we'll have to stay tuned for that. David, I know that you have covered the two factions of the body politic of the Palestinian people, Fatah and Hamas. While an historic joint rally to take place in the Gaza Strip against annexation. Annexation may be dead, but they're coming together. That's historic, isn't it? 
It is. There's more and more signs that they are working together against this proposed annexation. But as you said, that's really gone off the table, Jimmy, with now nearly 2,000 new cases a day in Israel. That sounds like a small number to many Americans, but Israel's only got 8 million people. So that's where their attention is at. There's no way that annexation could be dealt with at this time. So they're uniting again, but the, the cause that they're uniting against is probably not, nothing's going to happen at all in the immediate future. We have a opportunity to hear a Middle East news update each and every week here on Prophecy Today from David Dolan, longtime journalist in that region of the world. It's so key, especially if you're a student of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so very much. Uh, keep on staying well. We need you for these reports each week, and let's just plan to get together again next week for another Middle East news update. And you stay well as well, Jimmy, and God bless. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad is going to talk about the possibility of a fourth election upcoming. You need to stand by to hear what Winky has to say. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. I've asked you, of course, for three half-hour segments, 90 minutes, and if you'll give me the 90 minutes, I'll give you the world, and we'll look at the current events happening in this world today that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In this half hour, I'll be talking with Sharam Hadian. He is a man born in Iran, came to the United States, converted to Christianity, and now is a preacher but he's very knowledgeable of what's going on here in America as it relates to the Muslim Brotherhood and their efforts to work with those here in America to try to get involved in the political arena and be elected to political office, the Muslim community. We're going to talk to him. Is that an effort to try to take over America, or is it the Muslim world assimilating here into the citizenship of the United States. That's coming up. But speaking of elections, there is a possibility that there could be a fourth election in Israel. So you know my go-to man has to be Winky Madad. He understands how the political arena works. He worked in that arena for a number of years and is very knowledgeable of what is going on. Winky, thank you for being with us today. Appreciate it. I understand that Netanyahu 
is possibly considering going to a fourth election. Now, we'll get to that and see if that would be a viable possibility. But at the same time, there's a group that are in the Knesset that are very much concerned, Knesset, the legislative body of the Jewish state of Israel, very much concerned about a bill that has been proposed outlawing the gay conversion therapy. And this is the headline states could bring down the Israeli government. I know here in America, this is under discussion as well, conversion of a person who may be living the gay lifestyle and helping them to do that into a Christian experience here, or in fact, it could be into Judaism, or as I understand it, the Muslims are upset about this bill as well. Talk to me, if you will, please explain what the idea behind gay conversion therapy is. I mean, uh, there are some things that are going on may not be good. I don't know exactly what it's all about. Can you give us some insight there? Well, as much as I can understand, and I will admit that I'm no expert, there's a major split between two bodies of opinion. One is that the homosexual life that someone adopts is innate. In other words, it comes from his nature. He was born, he or she was born that way, and the attraction for the same sex is one that is dominant in that person's personality. And it should not be viewed as either a sickness or a disease or something negative. And the opposite, of course, is that uh, this is a psychological development that can be altered, that it could be affected by social peer pressure or feelings of inferiority or, or whatever. And just like many other psychological conditions are treated by psychologists, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, also, I don't know, all sorts of uh, occupations of medicine or otherwise, so can this. And I didn't look at all the details, but I would presume that the law does not say uh, that you must be put through this. The law, oh, and I wouldn't say the law, I'd say the people who are interested in conversion therapy are not saying we're going to force people, but we want to give them an alternative if they so desire. Uh, there's a growing body of opinion here in Israel, especially on the left, on the radical left, and it's working its way in, is that people should be left alone. And that's the basis of the law, as far as I know, that it said it shall be prohibited to give someone conversion therapy, even if he chooses to do so. Wow. Well, this is, a, of course, a lifestyle uh, that on one side, as you were explaining there, the two different options, on a lifestyle choice, uh, people would be able to say they wanted to go into a homosexual lifestyle, but then there's a group, the very Hasidic Orthodox Jews, the hyper-Orthodox Jews, and in fact even the Muslim members of the Knesset were somewhat concerned about this because the hyper-Hasidic Orthodox Jews are totally anti-gay, as would be the Muslims as well. Now that's another discussion for another time. But my concern is, and the reason I wanted to get a hold of you, Winky, is that uh, this bill may bring down the government. Looks like blue and white members of the Knesset, which is the 
the party that joined the coalition with Prime Minister Netanyahu, they voted opposite from what the rest of the Knesset wanted to do. Could this possibly, this bill, could it bring down the Israeli government that's in place, this emergency government today? Jimmy, let's take one step backwards. When a government in Israel is set up, and it's a coalition uh, government, there usually are conditions or stipulations that certain issues are quite important, and it's what we call coalition discipline. In other words, once it's been decided that you, for example, the budget, uh, the budget is if you do not vote for the budget and everything falls apart, there are other issues involved. If I'm not mistaken, Mr. Netanyahu made part of the sovereignty plan through the Trump Prosperity to Peace Plan as part of obligatory coalition voting uh, practice. And on this issue, is decided the coalition to vote against the bill. So, in other words, to allow certain types, I would presume, of conversion therapy to proceed. If the, as I said before, if the person so uh, suggests and wants uh, to try it out, uh, and, this, and it fell apart. To make the long story short, uh, there was a gap, I think, of just over 10 votes or so, which set off a firestorm in the Knesset plenum with, as you mentioned, the ultra-Orthodox screaming and yelling. So uh, Mr. Netanyahu said, look, if this is going to go on like this, we're going to have to split up the coalition and go to elections. In the meantime, he's also taking hits for the corona management of, of the situation and, of course, the budget that's going to come up. So I don't know if Mr. Netanyahu is choosing the easy way by picking on a low level of importance bill to try to slap around, if I can use that phrase, the blue and white and say, let's get back into line because we have bigger subjects and issues to deal with. And if you're going to leave me high and dry, you might as well know that this is going to split up, but we go to elections. And should they go to elections, a fourth election with just happening with just a bit more than a year, what would be the possibility of a Netanyahu win? I see that he has been basically losing favor with the body politic. How would it come out if they did go to a fourth election? Jimmy, the polls, of course, a little bit early, but they probably indicate because they're done at this moment when there are demonstrations in the streets, and uh, people, uh, in my opinion, Jimmy, are being ill-disciplined and unruly as regards what to do during this corona or this what we call also COVID-19 uh, pandemic. People are not social distancing. People are not wearing masks enough. I don't think that Netanyahu could be blamed for the second wave we're in, but it's convenient to blame the prime minister so I, I would guess this week's polls are not going to be very favorable. But Netanyahu doesn't have too much of a choice. If Blue and White continues to subvert the coalition discipline, the unity, which is the whole reason for the government that we have, he basically has no choice but to go to elections to try to better his parliamentary majority or plurality, whatever you want to call it, and possibly get a better government the next time. There's a saying that there's never a dull moment in the political arena in the state of Israel. I think that's in America as well. 
Uh, but indeed, God has a plan. That plan's ultimately going to play out, is it not, Winky? Whoever may be leading the Israeli government. Yes, if I can say it this way, we move forward while looking back. We look back at the Bible, we look back at our Jewish history, we look back at world history, the failures of humanity and mankind under all sorts of regimes that were oppressive, and we look forward to bettering ourselves based on our legacy, our heritage, and our experiences as people in God's world. That's the voice of Winky Madad. You understand by listening to what he's told us in these last maybe 10 minutes or so, which is so key for our understanding what is going on in Israel, and as he said, looking forward to the future, which is in the plan of God. Winky, thank you so very much. Appreciate it, dear brother, and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, be well and healthy. Thank you again for having me on your program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, the possibility of a third election in just over a year. We'll stay on top of that story with Winky and others who cover the Middle East for us. Well, right now we're going to another major region of the world, the European Union, and that's where we find John Rood, the man who is the one covering that very key location in our world as it relates to Bible prophecy, European Union most likely the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, and John actually lived there in Brussels for over 30 years. John, looks like the French Jews are leaving the European Union, headed to Israel, making immigration, and they're saying that it's because of anti-Semitism and the surrender by the French leaders to jihad. What can you tell us? Yes, there are certain factors involved. There has been certainly an increase of anti-Semitism in France through the years, which uh, we have monitored. Uh, There's economic situations as well. But the World Zionist Organization is working on a plan to bring hundreds of thousands of French Jews to Israel. And uh, this has been for a few years. It was early 2018 the president of the Confederation of Jews in France said in a few decades there'll be no Jews in France. Being pressured is what he's saying to, to leave France for Israel. So we, we do see a certain movement in that direction, and now it's become a concrete plan. You know, that's very interesting because God's plan is that the Jews go to Israel as well, and maybe it will be anti-Semitism and jihad, which will ultimately drive the Jews out of the European Union, and in fact, out of all the countries around the world, into Israel. Well, let's stay on this subject just a moment longer. The United Kingdom is reporting Russian interference, and they're asking Israel to assist. But right now, Israel is not ready to challenge the Kremlin. Can you give us more details on that? This is an interesting uh, parliamentary report, which came out of the United Kingdom, It was uh, long-awaited and expected, so the British Parliament came out naming countries, saying that they will not necessarily uh, confront or publicly condemn Moscow. So France, as we just mentioned, was at the top of the list, uh, Austria and Italy. But in a way, surprisingly, Israel was, was mentioned as well. And the reason there for the mention would be, of course, that uh, 
Russian oligarchs and their investment is coming into Israel. And certainly Israel has a highly sensitive relation with Russia, but it is noting that there is a hesitancy for Israel to confront Russia, certainly for these economic reasons. Maybe, Jimmy, I should interview you on that question. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll turn around the microphones and, and do that sometime. But I'd love to have you on the broadcast because we talk about political events unfolding. And you know the political events of the European Union. And, of course, that political activity is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. For example, let me ask you about Germany, France, Italy, all threatening sanctions over weapons shipments that are going into Libya, mostly from out of Turkey. What do we know on that story? Well, this last weekend was the EU summit in Brussels, which comes from time to time. And it's highly significant. Germany, France, and Italy altogether are now calling for sanctions on Turkey over the weapons shipments. And so it's almost certain, really, it is that Turkey had escorted a ship with uh, military equipment into Libya against the embargo. So German Chancellor Merkel has said Libya is facing a heightened uh, risk of regional escalation. And so the French president is getting support because the French forces were uh, involved in that altercation. But it is, uh, it is important that Germany, France, and Italy are coming to the forefront on the level of an EU summit uh, calling for sanctions on Turkey. And I would imagine that is the reason for the headline, one final thought I want to ask you about, that Turkey may well be the death of NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the military force for the European Union, because of their record and their recent clashes with their fellow member France there on the coast of Libya. Libya playing a key role here. Uh, but uh, Turkey may be the death of NATO. You think that's possible? Turkey is coming to the forefront. You know, Turkey joined NATO back in um, 1952, I believe it was. The idea there, they were welcome because that would be a balancing force with Russia. If Turkey was in NATO, then therefore they wouldn't align with Russia. Turkey is taking an opposing sign to Russia, apparently, in the Libyan conflict. But really, now Turkey has uh, come into its own and become its own threat, which is a situation for NATO allies, which has never happened. So this, again, had this conflict with the uh, shipment of military goods. And really, it, you know, news has come out with details on the ships and the Turkish frigates that were uh, protecting that shipment. They actually gave indication to, to the French uh, forces that they were willing to engage their military systems. And so Turkey has come out, of course, buying the Russian surface-to-air missiles. They have uh, unilaterally moved in northern Syria without a NATO approval. Turkey has come into its own militarily and is now taking, as we discussed last week, Hagia Sophia becoming a mosque again. It's all on the basis of Turkey's national sovereignty. This is the, the line that, that they are taking. So it does appear to be highly conflicted, Turkey's place in NATO at this moment. This is a crisis. 
a crisis, but also a step towards the fulfillment of Bible prophecy as well. That's the reason we bring John Rue to this broadcast table to give us a European Union update on a weekly basis. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. Important to monitor these items. Very important report, a European Union update from John Rood. That is a region of the world that will play a key role in the prophetic scenario that is foretold in God's Word, especially in the book of Daniel and the revival of the Roman Empire. Well, right now I want to bring to these microphones Sharam Hadian, very interesting gentleman. He was born in Iran. He and his family moved to the United States, where Sharam came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He has a background of being a pastor, has an organization where he is reaching out to the Islamic world in order to try to bring them to Christ. But at the same time, he is involved in warning the church of what is in store because of the Islamic world in our world today. Sharam, it's great to be able to have a conversation with you. Thank you for joining us. And let me just say, the last time we had a conversation, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned the Muslim Brotherhood, and I just kind of skipped over it. You said you could talk about the Muslim Brotherhood, and I thought, wait a minute, I forgot to talk with Sharam about the Muslim Brotherhood, so that's why I wanted to contact you today to have you join us here on the broadcast. Can you tell us just a bit, a short history, because I've got a lot of questions for you, but a short history of the Muslim Brotherhood and what power do they have here in the United States? Well, thank you, Dr. Young, for having me. Uh, yeah, the, the Muslim Brotherhood actually was a basically a rebirth of the failed Ottoman Empire. When the Ottoman Empire collapsed and was, was defeated in 1928, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood was birthed as what's called the revivalist movement. Their goal was to revive the Islamic caliphate or the Islamic global order. But the difference was, unlike the Ottoman Empire, where it was an actual nation-state movement, it was an empire, it was a physical geographic region, the Brotherhood's goal was to be transnational, to basically be a movement that was across the globe. There's a lot I can share. We don't have time, but, but one of the interesting things is that Hassan al-Banna, who was, who was the, the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, was an ardent admirer of Adolf Hitler. We know, and there's plenty of evidence, that the Muslim Brotherhood worked with and conspired with Nazi Germany and Hitler. Of course, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, as you've probably covered, Dr. Young, many times, Hajj, I mean, al-Husseini, was actually working with Hitler. He was broadcasting messages out of Berlin uh, in support of the Nazis, in support of the final solution against the Jews. And there's even some, I think, good literature out there that the Nazis and the Muslim Brotherhood conspired together to come up with the final solution because initially the Nazis wanted to take the Jews back into Palestine, you know, what was called Palestine, but yet the, the Arabs vehemently disagreed and therefore the, the, the final solution was come up with where they would annihilate them. So this is the history. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood history in the U.S. dates back to the late 1950s. They began to establish their, their beachfront here. The very first organization they created, Dr. Young, was the Muslim Student Associations on college campuses. They went after the youth. 
And today the Muslim Brotherhood is extremely active in America and very politically active, and they have been working vigorously to get Muslims elected to office, I believe, in order to establish Sharia, the Islamic doctrine that is their law, that is across religious and political spectrum. They want to establish that here in America, as they have done in many parts of Europe. I want to ask you about the Muslim Brotherhood in relationship with the Black Lives Matter movement. I understand there may be some connection. Briefly tell us about that connection. Well, it's actually stronger than a connection. One of the things that we saw in 2015, in late 2015, Nihad Awad, a gentleman who was the head of CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE is a front group for the Muslim Brotherhood. In fact, CARE is Hamas, because when Hamas was disbanded after the State Department declared it a terrorist organization, the Brotherhood started CARE as the fundraising arm of Hamas. So Nihadawa came came out in 2015 and said at their ICNA conference, one of their yearly conferences they have, he said that Black Lives Matter is our matter. I'm quoting, Black Lives Matter is our campaign. So they they not only said we're supporting it, they aligned. They actually joined forces. And you have seen this in recent months with the likes of Ilhan Omar marching with Black Lives Matter, with the likes of Keith Ellison in Minnesota uh, and his son marching with Black Lives Matter. So not only are, are they merging and working together, but the goal is the same, Dr. Dion. They have, number one, a hatred for this nation and its constitution. They want a Marxist Islamic revolution, what we call the red-green axis. They've been working together for many years. And by the way, I saw this in my birth country of Iran when Iran was overthrown in 1979. It was both an Islamic revolution, but also there was a Marxist element to it. Let's uh, circle back to that political situation that you were talking about. I've noticed a number of Muslims running for political office all up and down the political arena from the lower levels in a local or state level, and then for the United States Congress as well. What is their goal? Are they endeavoring to assimilate into the U.S. society? Or, as you seem to hint, is there a plan to take over the United States with Sharia? Well, I think we have to go, to answer that question, we have to go to their own document, which was discovered by the FBI. There's a document called the Explanatory Memorandum. And in the explanatory memorandum, they very clearly laid out that their goal was to, quote, sabotage our miserable house from within, direct quote from their mission statement, using our hands, meaning the hands of the unbelievers, and the hands of the believers or the Muslims. In order to do that, they laid out a a, a six-step plan, one of which was to infiltrate and engage the political environment and get Muslims elected into office, who then would implement aspects of Sharia like they have, as I said, in in Europe, where you have many of these Sharia courts operating as parallel legal systems to British law, French law, German law, so forth and so on. Ultimately, they want to implement Sharia. And here's one example, Dr. Young. They've already implemented aspects of Sharia, because my question is, can you openly criticize Islam in this country without being labeled as an Islamophobe? or being labeled as a one who is speaking hate speech, if that's the case, if you can't do that, which you can't, without getting 
uh, labeled and threatened and uh, the cancel culture and getting fired. So when you have that happening, that's Sharia. That's the implementation of Sharia. We call it creeping Sharia, but it's Sharia. And Dr. Young, Joe Biden, the presidential candidate, he just spoke online at a rally called the Million Muslim Vote Summit. They're trying to, Muslim Brothers are trying to get one million Muslims to be registered to vote so they can vote their political agenda, which, of course, is the agenda of the left, Marxist, globalist, socialist, uh, and Islamist. He was on a call with Linda Sarsour, the known anti-Semite, anti-American constitutionalist, and he said he called it Islamic, he called it Islamic phobia, which he didn't even know the term, and he said, I wish we taught more in our schools about the Islamic faith. And then he goes on to quote the Hadith of Muhammad, saying, whoever among you sees a wrong, let him change it with his hand. If he is not able, then with his tongue. If he's not able, then with his heart. So Joe Biden is quoting Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. Boy, we better uh, pray for this election coming up, Dr. Dion. Absolutely. First Timothy chapter 2 tells us to pray for those who are in authority in high places of leadership in our nation, and in fact, even those who are wanting to be in that position. Very important conversation I've just had with Sharam Hadian. Hope the body of Christ is paying attention to this report. Sharam, thank you so very much for the insight you've given us. Appreciate it. I'm just convinced we'll have to have more conversations down the road. Thank you, Dr. Young. God bless you guys all. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, one more broadcast partner standing by, David James. We're going to talk about what's the background of the Black Lives Matter movement and Antifa. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here with the last half hour of this hour and a half broadcast, 90 minutes that we ask you for to give you the world and the current events happening in this world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We have David James standing by one final conversation with my broadcast partners. We're going to dig deep into what is Black Lives Matter who is behind them? What is their agenda? Going to be in a meeting in Marion, Ohio. That's where I'm headquartered now and my temporary studios at the Grace Baptist Church. Pastor Warden, he is inviting everybody for all day Sunday and then Monday evening. Two-day prophecy conference. What a time to be studying the prophetic word of God. I want to remind you about my poll question Here's the question. If you go to my website on the left-hand column, scroll down, there's the question. Many today say black lives matter, while others are saying all lives matter. Do you think that Jesus believed that all lives matter, according to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, where the Lord says that the only reason he has not returned for the rapture is that he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know him as Lord and Savior. That's the poll question. Please answer it at my website, prophecytoday.com. 
We now bring to this microphone David James. We have a weekly conversation and discuss an issue that is confronting the body of Christ. We want to give you the biblical perspective on that issue so that you may be able to understand how to walk with the Lord in light of the information you get from the Word of God on any particular item or issue in life today. And David, we received several emails concerning last week's program about Pray.com and other Christian meditation websites. I wanted to talk to you about this before we get to our main topic. So what can you tell us about those emails that have come in? Sure. Well, one of our listeners wrote this. Thanks for your Saturday report here in the north of Michigan. I deeply appreciate the warnings of the New Age deception of the day. And then she went on to say that she has seen a friend get into satanic meditation and watched her life fall apart. Then another listener mentioned a meditation website called Encounter, uh, which she says may be connected with the version Bible app because the verses of the day are the same. So that was just for our information and for our listeners. And then the third listener wrote this, uh, Hi, Jimmy. I was somewhat surprised by the apparent aversion that you and David James seem to have to the Christian sleep aid apps and similar things. David made a comment about white noise, like it is a really bad thing, and I never heard that before. So I, I didn't mean to suggest that there's a problem with white noise per se. In fact, two of our grandkids go to sleep with a white noise machine every night as it helps to mask other noises that keep them away. And I only mentioned it because it was part of that particular meditation package and a part of what they were doing to try to get people to connect with the meditation. And our concern is that there's a parallel between those apps and guided transcendental meditation and hypnosis, which some believe, and I think it's possibly true, they can be gateways to altered states of consciousness. You know what, David? I use white noise myself when that dog next door starts barking middle of the night. <laughs> That's the only way I can get back to sleep, cover up that barking noise. Well, anyway, let's go on now into what we wanted to talk about today. Earlier, I was speaking on the broadcast with Sharom Hadian about a connection between the Muslim Brotherhood and Black Lives Matter. So I wanted for us to dig a bit deeper into Black Lives Matter, because this movement is continuing to gain a lot of traction. You're right, Jimmy. A 2020 Pew Research poll found that 60% of whites, 70% of Hispanics, 75% of Asians, and 86% of African Americans either strongly support or somewhat support Black Lives Matter. You know, I just saw an article that the Boston Red Sox have unveiled a 250-foot-long Black Lives Matter banner next to Fenway Park. And then a couple of days ago, ESPN reported that Black Lives Matter has been put on the floor on the court where the league is going to kick off its season there in Orlando. And then Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, had it painted on the street in the front of the, in front of the Trump Tower. And Jimmy, it's happening all over the place. But, you know, on the other hand, I've heard many, including black leaders, say something along the lines of this. I stand by the sentiment of Black Lives Matter, but I don't stand behind the Black Lives Matter organization. And, you know, there are serious problems with the movement and that organization. Black Lives Matter that many just aren't aware of. And you know, David, I think that would suggest to us that our listeners need to have a better understanding of exactly what Black Lives Matter stands for. So can you take a moment now and tell us 
more from your research of what they stand for. Well, the About section on the Black Lives Matter website begins this way. Four years ago, what is now known as Black Lives Matter Global Network began to organize. It started out as a chapter-based, member-led organization whose mission was to build local power and to intervene when violence was inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. And then they also say this about themselves. Uh, We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We do the work required to dismantle cisgender, and that would mean people who are in heterosexual relationships. So to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women. Then they go on to say, we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. Then they also say this, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. And you know, Jimmy, one thing that's missing in this is any mention of the need for black men to step up and take responsibility for their families and put a stop to the gang violence that's destroying their neighborhoods. Another thing our listeners need to know that in a recently reported 2015 interview, one of the three Black Lives Matter co-founders declared that she and another co-founder are trained Marxists. And in addition to that, based upon my research, they are very much pro-abortion and they are anti-Semitic. So this is bad stuff. It certainly sounds that is the case. You know, one article you sent me, David, was written by an African-American man who really had some important things to say that actually go against what much of the mainstream media is talking about today. Give us more about that article that you got from this brother. The author of that article wrote this. The first thing that I have to say is that I'm an African-American man living in the Minneapolis area. I have to state this now, otherwise I would probably be called a racist. Then he says this, most people think that Black Lives Matter is a grassroots, black-created, black-run organization dedicated to fighting racism. It most certainly is not. The Black Lives Matter movement is the creation of a group of a very few wealthy individuals, nonprofit corporations, and the corporate media. Incidentally, he says, 90% of the U.S media is controlled by only six corporations. And he notes in the article that some of the financial backers of Black Lives Matter include George Soros. He's a bad guy. Uh, Rob McKay is a Taco Bell heir. It's also funded by a group of Democratic Party donors called the Democracy Alliance and a group called Solidaire, which is led by Texas oil fortune heir Leah Hunt Hendricks. And another source of funding is the four foundation. So this is anything but a grassroots movement. And then the author of the article concludes with this. What we are seeing happening in the world right now under the guise of eliminating racism, the destabilization of society, the protest, rioting, looting, burning, and killing are not spontaneous grassroots movements. It's all thoroughly coordinated by those at the top of the Black Lives Matter media cabal. They are indeed the enemy of African Americans, but they are actually the enemy of us all. African Americans are being used as cannon fodder in their game of global domination. Powerful stuff, Jimmy. Yes, it certainly is. And David, what's interesting to me, this writer isn't the only African American who's been speaking out against Black Lives Matter. Others have raised their voices in opposition as well, have they not, David? 
That's right, Jimmy. And there seems to be good reason for this chorus of dissent that we're seeing. A few days ago, the BBC ran an article titled The Black Cop Who Has a Problem with Black Lives Matter, which reported on a post by a black uh, police officer from Brooklyn named James Stalian. And he is quoted saying this, black lives do not matter to most black people. Only the lives that are taken at the hands of cops or white people matter. And the article noted that uh, Stalian put out his post last weekend following the murder of five Dallas police officers at a protest. And then he went on to write this. I couldn't help but wonder if it had been me, a black man, a black cop on TV, assassinated, laying on the ground dead. Would my friends and family still think black lives mattered? Would my life have mattered? And, you know, this author has been called an Uncle Tom and a wannabe white boy. Uh, but he said his motivation was this, and I quote, my own black people killing others over nothing. Crackheads and heroin addicts lined the lobby of my building. I wanted to stop watching the blood of African Americans spilled on the streets at the hands of a fellow black man. And then another guy, Larry Elder, who is often on Fox News, he's a black radio talk show host, and he penned an op-ed about six weeks ago, and he wrote this, there is no epidemic of racist cops killing black suspects. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Police killings of blacks declined almost 80% from the 60s through the 2010s, while police killings of whites have flatlined. The number one reason for death, preventable or otherwise, for young black men is homicide, almost always at the hands of another black, young black man. David, you know, in some of the news reports and certain statements coming from the Trump administration, we've been seeing Black Lives Matter and Antifa mentioned together. Have you found any connection between these two groups in your research? Well, actually, I did quite a bit of research into this in preparation for our discussion, and I was surprised to find out there really doesn't seem to be a direct connection between the two. I was able to hear your discussion with uh, Sharam uh, Hadian, and, and I couldn't find the kind of connection with Antifa that Black Lives Matter apparently has with the Muslim Brotherhood. So this seems to suggest that both groups are just opportunistic in trying to take advantage of the chaos created by the other group to advance their own respective agenda. And Antifa doesn't seem to have top-down organization or direct funding like Black Lives Matter. David, one last article that I wanted to get to was an op-ed piece that you sent me that appeared in the Washington Times a few weeks ago, and it was addressed to evangelical pastors. Talk to us about it. Well, that op-ed has the title, Evangelical Pastors Pandered to Radical Black Lives Matter, with the subtitle, Christian Leaders Were Once Defined by Piety, Not Politics, Revivals, Not Riots. And the author says it so well. I'm just going to quote portions of his letter, Jimmy. He, he writes this, Dear woke evangelical pastors, what in the world is wrong with you? There was a time, oh, let's say about five minutes ago, when you were defined by preaching salvation, not social justice. The world knew you for your revivals not your riots. You are characterized by your piety, not your politics. How in the name of all that is right and holy could you possibly now march with an organization that laughs in the face of all that Jesus taught and died for? Have you not taken the time to do a 30-second Google search for the mission statement of the organization with which you now align? How can you stand with an organization that mocks God, denies the Bible, belittles men, demeans women, and subjugates generations of black children to the dysfunction of fatherhood? 
fatherless families. You claim to be Christian leaders, but you stand in solidarity with a group that promotes anger and revenge. How can you be so blind? Again, very powerful words, Jimmy. And David, could you do us a favor? Could you post that on your website? I would love for the pastors around this country to be able to read that once again. What's that website address? Sure, I will put that up. And my website address is biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org. You'll be able to read that article there on David's website. Hey, David, great discussion. We needed to have this information for the body of Christ. Thank you so much for your hard work at research and appreciate every bit of information you could bring to us. And get ready because we're going to do another subject in next week's broadcast together as well. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at the book, open up the Bible, put together all the comments that my broadcast partners had to say, and see what God's Word prophetically has to say about them. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had reports from our broadcast partners that were so beneficial to each and every one of us as listeners to those reports. This last week, I received an email from a dear brother thanking me for covering the news in our world today from a Christian perspective. 
Thank you, dear brother, for your kind words. And that's our mission here. The banner over my website says, Looking at Current Events in Light of Biblical Prophecy. Well, we are so grateful that we have this vehicle to get this information out to you. It's important for the body of Christ to know the truth behind the news, the real facts. And that's what our broadcast partners give us each and every week. And then I will give you my prophetic perspective. I'll do that today as well in just a moment. By the way, if you missed any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on the right-hand column. Scroll down, and there you will be able to listen to each and every one of these very important reports. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, and there, listen to these reports. And by the way, remember to tell a friend or a family member how they can get these reports, listen to them, get the information as well. Now, I would like to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Temmerman led the broadcast off with his report that Iran is seeking a deal with Russia and China so that the three of them can resist the American dominance in this world. I want to remind you that this trio are all mentioned in Bible prophecy. Russia and Iran in Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 5, and they are the major player in the first half of the tribulation period. Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45, and then China at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Revelation 18 and chapter 16 in verse 12, China in partnership with the Antichrist. David Dolan has a Middle East news update on a weekly basis. It's key for our listeners to be able to understand what he is telling us about this key region of the world. David reported that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, is sending reinforcements up to their northern border there with the Lebanese border to stop Hezbollah. You remember that Hezbollah is one of the proxies for the Iranians. All their money, manpower, training, and armament is provided by Iran. Hezbollah would be the front line in the battle to destroy the Jewish state. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4 and Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. Winky Madad comes to the broadcast table often here on Prophecy Today. This time he shared with us information about the conflicts in the Knesset, politicians at odds on a number of issues that could lead even to a fourth election. The big fight is over an anti-gay conversion therapy bill, which has all of the hyper-Orthodox upset about the fact that they want to be able to use this therapy to help someone come out of the gay lifestyle and become an Orthodox Jew. The Muslims, by the way, are joining in that same fight in the Knesset. Then there is the problem about the coronavirus pandemic is spreading across the entire state, 
and annexation. You know, God has brought human government into place in order to be able to guide the nations in our world today. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17 says that God in the end times will continue to use these political leaders to make political decisions for the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. John Root is our man covering the European Union. Jews are leaving France for Israel. And that's due to the anti-Semitism in France and France's surrender to jihad. Anti-Semitism is rampant in France and driving Jews to go home to Israel. By the way, that was God's plan anyway. Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord says 18 times, I will and mainly focusing on finding the Jews where he has scattered them in the past and bringing them back home to the land. You know the history of the Jews. God has had to make the Jews do almost everything they did according to his will, and it's the same today. Sharam Hadian had a key report on the connection between Black Lives Matter and the Muslim Brotherhood, and also Muslims entering into U.S. politics for the purpose of installing Sharia in the United States. Sharam was born in Iran, converted to Christianity, and now is endeavoring to win Muslims to Jesus Christ and at the same time warn the body of Christ that Islam is satanic. David James concluded our broadcast reports when we dug deeper into Black Lives Matter and who they are, who is behind them, what is their agenda. This is a very important report. You need to understand it, especially you Christian leaders. Dave's report is revealing that true agenda is not good for America and especially for the church. Well, those are the six broadcast partners who have come to the broadcast table with information that must be heard. You need to assimilate this information, put it together with your study of the prophetic passages of God's Word. Now, I want to remind you, we do not allow current events to direct our thinking on Bible prophecy. We allow the Word of God, the prophetic Word of God, to direct us in our understanding of the end times. And as you have listened to these broadcast partners and also my prophetic perspective on these reports, you have to come to the conclusion that the next event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church, could take place at any time, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.